welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. We're hearing a lot of people these days talk about the need for justice in our society, just as we hear about this need really all, all over the world. Sometimes the call for justice is a call for equity or for assistance for people in need. Other times it's actually framed as a, as a demand for power, even for retribution. Justice isn't always defined the same way by everyone who calls for it. In the Bible, justice is usually portrayed as the way that God intends to take what is wrong and make it right. Jesus employs justice language from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah when, when he lays out his own agenda for his ministry in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In his acts of healing and deliverance, in his identification with the poor of Israel, Jesus demonstrated God's heart for justice, for, for bringing the broken and the lost to the very center of God's love and care, for, for taking what is wrong, things like poverty and oppression and sickness and, and even death, and bringing God's touch of deliverance and healing in order to make things right. These were all signs of the inbreaking of God's kingdom. This morning's rather powerful account from the Gospel of Matthew has a lot to say about justice. Jesus pulls out all kinds of image-rich language that would have been fairly familiar to his original audience to frame not only what to expect way off in the future, but also to echo the voices of the ancient prophets who called the people of Israel to be a people of justice. Our reading from the Old Testament book of Zechariah is one example of that call. And why did the ancient prophets feel the need to tell the people to be a people of justice? Because they weren't doing it. The, the rich and powerful were accused of exploiting the poor and the vulnerable. Uh, they, they were doing the exact opposite of what God had called them to do. And Jesus, while speaking of the future, to be sure, also spoke as a real-time prophet. He, he begins with a picture of, of his glorious return, sitting on a throne with all of the nations gathered before him. Now, th this was a common theme in Scripture and in Jewish tradition, where, where God would one day judge all the nations, especially those who had given Israel trouble over the years. And then Jesus, who self-identifies as the Son of Man, he divides the people of the nations into two groups, the sheep and the goats. Now, the, the people hearing this story for the first time would understand the process because there were a whole lot of sheep and goats and shepherds and the like in, living in Israel in Jesus' day. At night, the shepherd would let the sheep stay outside in their pen since they had these nice fluffy coats to keep them warm, but, but then they would herd the goats to a place where, where they could be protected from the cold, because goats don't have that kind of fluffy coat. 
But the analogy stops with the act of separation itself because Jesus is not characterizing the goats as ones who are going to be made safe and cozy. Uh, once the people got the idea of just the separation down in their minds, the real reason for it was about to knock them for a loop. The Son of Man looks at the ones on the right and he explains to them that, that they are being welcomed into the fullness of God's kingdom because of the care that they gave to him when he was hungry and thirsty and displaced and naked and sick and in prison. And, and the people on the right are, are dumbfounded because they don't remember seeing him in such a state. They would have surely remembered someone in that bad of shape. And then Jesus gives them this startling explanation. He says, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then Jesus turns to the ones on his left and lets them know that they completely dropped the ball in terms of caring for him. They ask the same question that the others asked. When? When did we see you in such a state? And, and Jesus offers the negative version of his earlier answer. Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Well, and the goat-like people are then sent off to eternal punishment to the place specially designed, not specially designed for them, but specially designed for the devil and his minions. It, it seems that if they didn't like Jesus' company, then they can just go see what the other side really looks like. It's a very bad deal for them. You know, th this is a very important, image-rich, biblical text about justice and its place in the ethics and actions of the people of God. Jesus made it clear twice in the Gospel of Matthew that he had come for the lost sheep of Israel. Now, it's important to understand that his mission did not exclude the rest of the world. Rather, he, he called the people of Israel back to their identity as God's people for the sake and blessing of the world. But what this tells us is that according to Matthew, Jesus' very first audience was his own people. Now, maybe some who first listened to Jesus tell this story envisioned all the nations of the world standing before the judgment seat while the people of Israel just sort of stood off to the side, watching the proceedings, just like observers. And they stood there waiting for those nations who had oppressed Israel over the years to get their just desserts. But maybe there were others who would think, well, now, hold on just a minute. I've got family living in those other nations. A lot of my ancestors ended up in Assyria and Persia and Mesopotamia after Israel's exile. And then they just stayed there. They, they put down roots. They raised their families. You know, I see them each year when they come to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover, but, but they don't live in the nation of Israel. They live in those other nations. And that person would be right. When the Son of Man looks over the nations, he sees the people of lands with, with geographical and political and ethnic identities. And scattered here and there in the nations would be the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, the people of God, and, and those who would one day come to faith in Jesus. 
Jesus' message here, I believe, was a message not only to the nations of the world, but also to the people of God. And that includes us. We are a people who are in the nations of the world, a people who stand with the world as co-humans made in the image of God. As God's people, we are to be, as Jesus said, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We are to be a people through whom all the families of the earth are to be blessed. We are to be a people who are at the forefront of care for the needy, the sick, the imprisoned, the disenfranchised, the oppressed. We are to be a people leading the train of justice, not just chasing after the caboose. So yes, we are to be a people of justice. And to seek justice is to stand with the suffering people of the world, a people who Jesus says are significant to him, that their lives are important, that their lives have value. You know, I, I think that the scripture points us in the direction of understanding the basis from which we have an ethic of care for the suffering of the world. You see, we begin as God's people with the conviction that all human beings matter to God, that all people have intrinsic value. That's our starting place with all people. And when some of those people suffer, we respond with care and rescue and healing and justice. It's sort of like the way that the human body works, actually. The brain understands that all the body parts are important. They all have value. Um, and so when I smash my thumb with a hammer while attempting a home repair, my brain rallies the resources of my body to respond to that distress. The brain recognizes my pain, and because it values my thumb like it does the other parts, it goes to work to put things right. See, see, the brain doesn't devalue the rest of the body, or it doesn't say that my thumb doesn't matter because everything's equal. The brain just knows that there's one part that in that moment needs some help. Our reading today from Matthew winds up a, a series of parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. He tells what the kingdom is like, how people are called to be prepared for the day when Jesus will return, when the time when God's true justice will set all things right. And the story of the sheep and the goats is kind of the sucker punch that shocks everyone with God's heart for those who suffer and the way God values those who care for them. You know, we Christians have a powerful motivation for pursuing justice in the world. We believe, as Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the kingdom is already breaking through into the drama of human history and brokenness and sin. And we are called to do what Jesus did, to proclaim and demonstrate the reality of God's kingdom right in the midst of that human drama. We, we proclaim the kingdom with our words. We do that as we, as we bear witness to Christ, telling our stories of faith. And we demonstrate the kingdom as we worship, as we serve others, as we love one another, and as we extend that love to the world around us.
Now, a lot of you probably know that our word gospel, it comes from a very old English rendering of the, of the term good news. The good news is, as Jesus proclaimed, the announcement that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that means something very important to us. It means that our values and our ethics, and yes, even our politics, must be grounded in the values and the ethics and the politics of the kingdom of God. Now, you might wonder why in the world I would use the word politics in the same breath as kingdom of God. But I don't mean politics in terms of our political preferences or political system or even the political theatrics that have become so commonplace in our society. At the heart of our word politics is the ancient Greek word polis, which simply means city. A city is certainly more than its buildings and its roads and its governing bodies. A city is made up of people, rich and poor people, ones who are powerful, ones who are powerless, the healthy and the sick, the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, you extract all the people out of the city, you just have a ghost town. You see, we care about the least of these because our politics, our care for the city, are grounded in the kingdom of God rather than in any national political interest. The politics of our day are not the gospel. But our love and care for the city, the polis, the people of the world who live and work and love and suffer and die, are expressions of the good news of God's kingdom. E even various movements that are aimed at social justice, as worthy as they might be, must be for us grounded in the reality of the kingdom of God. Social movements are not, in and of themselves, the gospel. But our engagement in acts of justice are demonstrations of the good news of God's kingdom. Mother Teresa of Calcutta was known to have reflected on our text today from Matthew 25. And she's often quoted as saying that she saw the face of Jesus in the face of each sick and dying person she helped. That's an amazing thing to say, isn't it? To say that we meet Jesus when we reach out to the least of these? Of course, that does seem to be what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 25. You know, what a joy it would be for those so-called sheep to realize that in their acts of care, compassion, rescue, healing, that they had all along been not only obeying the king of the kingdom, but ministering to him as well. You know, people like us often use terms like spirit-filled or the ministry of the spirit or the power of the spirit. And those terms are important to us because they speak of our conviction that the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, as St. Paul describes in Romans chapter 8, that that spirit is at work in our personal lives and in the life that we share together as followers of Jesus and in the world around us. In effect, we are saying that in the Holy Spirit, 
God in Christ is present to us, present within us, and present among us. Jesus' two parables that led up to this story of final judgment, the, the stories of the bridesmaids and the talents, both of those stories talked about waiting. The bridesmaids were waiting for the groom to show up, and the servants were waiting for their master to return. The sheep and goat people were waiting, but maybe they didn't realize the nature of that waiting or that they were even waiting in the first place. And something both groups had in common was that they didn't realize that in the waiting, Jesus was present to them. He was present to them in the suffering people of the world, but he was also present as he summoned them into the life of the already present kingdom of God. And that's what we desire, isn't it? The real presence of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. Trying to be people of justice and truth and compassion out of sheer duty isn't enough. It, it isn't sustainable. We desire that to be that kind of people, we do so because the Holy Spirit has filled us and transformed us and made us a unique people on planet Earth, a, a people who care for the least of these as we care for Jesus, a people who demonstrate through their lives that the kingdom of God is at hand. In this moment, right here and now, together, let's, let's ask God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to touch our lives in a fresh way today, that we might be spirit-filled people who inhabit and care for the world that God loves. And so, will you pray with me now? Come, Holy Spirit. Come and quiet our souls to hear you. Come and soften our hearts to accept and receive your words. Come and guide our steps. Come and equip us to join in with what you are doing in the world. Open our eyes to the least of these that we might minister to you. Come and help us trust where you are taking us. Come and make our lives new. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, even, even in our desire to be faithful to God, faithful to all the gifts that he's given us, we, we do pause now to recognize and confess our failure to always be that kind of people, to, to even be a people of God's justice. And so we come to the God who knows us, to the, the one for whom we wait with preparation and anticipation, and we tell the truth about ourselves, trusting in God's loving grace and forgiveness, 
seeking to be refreshed and renewed by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and looking ahead with confidence to that time that is yet to come when we're invited into the fullness of God's kingdom. And so now we pray together. Lord God, your love for humankind, present in the beginning of all things, extends throughout history and touches even my life. Your love sees failings and forgives. Your love feels pain and wipes away our tears. Your love knows grief and comforts the sorrowful. Your love sees sin and still loves the sinner. Forgive us when we fail to live lives that reflect your love. Forgive us the many times when we take for granted all that you have done for us. Transform us through your spirit and empower us to serve you this day and all days. Amen.